Let me share with you what we're talking about today. So the first session we'll be talking about is called, the presentation is entitled, Class of the Gender Roles One, Men's Roles in Dating and Marriage. That's what we're looking at, men's roles in dating and marriage. And then the second one, right after, we'll take a break, will be Class of the Gender Roles Two, and Women's Roles in Dating and Marriage. That's why it's good we have prayer and we surrender and we sing as much as we can because we need a lot of God's grace when we talk about roles, um, especially in today's culture. Now, I'm going to share this not in the sense of only the roles. I'm going to share in the context of righteousness by faith and in the context of the everlasting gospel, revealing God's love. So, in other words, gender roles reveals righteousness by faith. That's what we're going to be studying. So I want to see that if we get a false concept, we're going to learn righteousness by works. And so I want to know righteousness by faith and see God's love. What do you say, huh? amen? So we're going to see, I'm going to interweave through this whole two presentations is God's love. So I want you to see that this is not a legalistic way of having to do these roles. And you see how legalism has, has actually turned people off from following the roles, and that's why there's been a reaction in the culture of the world and even in the church. So we're going to say a little bit of that also, uh, what has happened and then the trends of what's going on in the world today. So, but I want us to see that this is, has to do with not only our salvation, but everyone else's salvation out there. So throughout my whole, my, most of my life, I had no idea that men and women had different roles. I don't know about you. I just thought that men and women did whatever role they felt like doing. When I was dating, right? I thought, you know, this, and you know who was my, my mentors and my role models and what was the roles of men and women? It was actually Hollywood movies and TV. <laughs> Can you relate to me, anybody? Amen. So here I go on a date and I'd be out with people, I'd be out with, this, uh, with a girl and I'll be like, you know, just reading the magazine what a 90s man was or, you know, a 2000 person man was at that time and just kind of following the culture of that time. And so I'll just go that role and um, kind of slip right into it. And, you know, the man was, has been losing the role even more and more since especially the 1960s. So I believe that the gospel of God's love for us is clear, clearly revealed in the gender roles of men and women. In fact, every time I follow God's gender roles for me, I'm reminded of God's love. And that's how we should be looking at it. So today as we study from the word of God what the specific roles of a man are, may we learn from the real man, Jesus Christ. What do you say, amen? So would you please, uh, when you kneel with me please for prayer as we pray. Father, we know we're talking about difficult subjects and only you can teach us and be our true teacher. And so, Lord, pray that my temple will be clear so your love can flow out through me to your people. I pray that you may help everyone here to be open, to hear the message that you'd want them to hear. So we thank you, Lord, for already answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turn me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. 
We're going to be studying four principles of what it makes a real man. Because there's not really real men out there, hardly. And so we're looking for real men. And, and ladies, these are the four principles you look for in a real man. Right? What do you say? Hi, man. You don't want to be caught with a guy who doesn't follow these principles. You're not going to be happy in your marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. What are the roles between a husband and a wife? Notice the Bible says here. Wives, what is that word? Submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, right? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as Christ is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in how many things? Everything. So, wives are to submit themselves unto the husband. You see, the husband is the head of the wife, right? Just as Christ is the head of the church. In other words, the role of a husband is to be the leader of the home. The role of a man is to be the leader. That's what the role of a man is. He needs, he needs to be a man and lead. I'm going to talk more about that. That's what a real man is. He's going to lead. He's going to take charge. He's going to show that he can lead. Now, the Bible also says that wives are to submit to the husbands and everything unto the Lord. Now, does that mean that wives submit to the, whatever the husbands say, the wives are to submit no matter what? Is that what it's saying? What does it say? Wives are to submit to the husband. What's the next few words? As unto the Lord. In other words, if there's anything out there that the husband or the boyfriend says to you, you know, you, could you um, do this for me? And you think, well, I need to submit. Um, but if there's anything that he, he asks you to do that goes contrary to what the Lord says in his word, then are you to do it or not do it? Don't do it. I'll give you an example. What if you're, at, um, you're married to your husband or, and then you get a phone call? The phone rings, and uh, you answer it, and it's for your husband, and your husband says to you, tell them I'm not home. <laughs> Has that ever happened? Tell them I'm not home. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> tell him that you... My husband is telling me right now to tell you that he's not home. <laughs> You're not lying. Amen. In other words, don't lie because it breaks God's Ten Commandments, right? So don't tell him that he's not home. But that may not be the tactful way for your marriage situation, right? So the most tactful way is that to say is um, he's not available at this time, right? And that solves both problems. But do you ever see that happen? Have you ever, anyone ever seen that happen? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I heard, yeah. Okay, so you see how just because men are the head of the home, that does not give them full authority to make you even do things that actually go against contrary to God's word. So that's clear. Let me hear you say amen. Amen? Okay, let's, let's go to 25. What are husbands to do toward their wives? Look at verse 25. The Bible says, here, we're looking at husbands. And the Bible says, husbands, what do you need to do? Love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So what is the first role of a man? He needs to what? Love his wife. If he's courting someone or dating someone, he needs to love that girl, right? We're going to see that um, in the second session. So the first thing is that the man, he needs to be a lover. <laughs> he needs to be a lover. In other words, you must be able to love your woman. Now... Um, in other words, 
If this is true, the Bible is saying the reason why God said that men need to love the women because within every woman's heart is a desire to be loved by her husband. Within every woman's heart, desire to be loved by her man. And so there's a hole in your heart, women, for love. And that's what God's feeling you right now when you're single. But when, even when you're married, yes, there's a hole in your heart for God. But because you enter into the marriage covenant, there's also created within you a hole in your heart toward your, your husband. And so you must marry a man that will not only win your heart, but he's going to learn how to treasure your heart. What do you say, amen? It's easy to win, right? But men are kind of like, if I can, men are like conquerors. Once they conquer your heart, and they feel like, like a trophy, they just stick it on a wall and they forget about it. So I want her heart, but the winning the heart is really the easier part. The harder part is actually to treasure her heart. What do you say, huh? Amen? You know, this is something I've been learning that I've been learning that I need to learn how to treasure my wife's heart. And um, I was so caught up in present truth and evangelism and just doing work for God that, you know, we never went out on dates. I was just doing ministry. I think about six years of our marriage, we didn't go on one date. And I'm like, man, this is the thing, this got us, that came to the conclusion that, wait, I need to focus on my family. That's why I gave up a lot of my ministry and very limited on my speaking engagements and everything because um, I gave up my Bible work programs, my intern of mentoring people. I gave up all those different things because I want to spend more time with my family. So um, with my wife, I felt that I need to start dating her, continue to date her even when you're married. What do you say, huh? Amen? That's what we need to do. So to love your wives, um, the Bible says. So as Christ loved the church, now that's very powerful. So we are to love her as Christ loved the church. Now, how does this type of love look like? Now, turn me to 1 John 4, verse 19. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Okay, let's, this is the gospel. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. How does this type of love look like? Now, we are to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. So then we ask, need to ask the question, well, how did Christ love the church, right? That's a good question. So let's see how did Christ um, love the church or love you and me. And then when we, when we understand how Christ loves you and me, then we're going to understand how, how we, as men, need to love the, our women, right? And women then need to understand what type of man they're looking for that will love them as Christ loves us, right? So that's what we're looking at. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. And the Bible says here, what type of love are we to look for? The Bible says, we love him, we love God, because why? He what? First what? Loved us. Okay, that's the gospel. So the gospel is that, you know, God and us, right? So here's the gospel. The gospel is not you loving God, and then because you love him and do what is right, then he loves you. Does that make sense? That's not the gospel. Though it's presented in a church, like, you know, you don't do this and I'm not going to love you, right? You know, you, or you better, even in the home, if you, dad's not going to love you unless you're obedient, right? He's not going to be nice to you unless you do what is right. Mom's not going to talk to you if, you've been dis, if you talk back to her, right? So we get that false concept of, if that's how my parents are, then God must be that way also. So we paint a false picture of who God is. But the true gospel is not that way. The gospel is not, no, I need to please my parent, my heavenly father, my parent, God, 
the Father, and then he loves me, right? Because I do what is good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is God loves you, guess what? Before you even love him. And then, because he loves you, before you love him, guess what? You want to love him. Amen? What do you say? Amen? Amen. So that's the gospel. So, in the same way, what happens when our wives discover, or the women we're with discover that we love them? When they discover that, man, we love them, they will respond to loving us in return. Is that clear? Let me say amen. Amen? So in other words, my, as an issue, the first one is lover. As I love my wife, she's going to respond and love me back. But who loves first? The man. Do you see that? Whose responsibility is it for love to actually happen in that relationship? The man. We are. You're going to see more and more that very few men are falling godly roads today in the Bible. Very few. We are responsible. Now look, look at this. But yet, what people take is they take Ephesians chapter 5 or 25, and first 22 to 25, and what they do is they say, see, I had a friend just go to all the girls and, see, and say to them, see, women are to submit to the men. You ever had people say that? <laughs> say it's right here. But you know when you do that, it's almost like you're... Does force work? Do you like to be told and forced what to do? No, you don't like that, right? So if somebody goes to say, you need to love me, does that really work? That doesn't work, right? So what works? You need to win the heart of the person. As men, we need to win the hearts. We can't say, you need to submit to me because I'm the head of the home. You've heard that before? You need to submit to me because I'm the head of the home and you need to listen to what I'm saying. You know, that is the reason why we're in a situation we're in today. I'm going to go over that later on. Um, it's a reaction against the, the power of men. And it says it in the spirit of prophecy. Now look at this quotation from Desire of Ages in your handouts. Everyone, does everyone have handouts? Who doesn't have a handout? You can raise your hand. Oh, can you help me, please? Thank you. Okay, leave your hand up, please. Okay, from Desire of Ages, page 22. Please raise your hands. Okay, okay it says, The exercise of force is contrary to the principles of God's government. He desires only the service of love. And love cannot be commanded. It cannot be worn by force or authority. What do you say, huh? Amen? It says, only by love is love what? Awakened. In other words, you cannot force love to happen. You cannot make someone to love you. You can't put a gun to the head and say, love me, right? Would that work? You can, you can put a gun to someone's hand, head and say, tell me you love me. And where they, say, where they say, I love you. Probably they will to save their life. But that, does that really reveal that they love you? No. External obedience, they may look like they love you. But internally, they don't love you. Right? So it's really about the inside, the heart. You want the heart. You know, the great controversy in the last days is that they're going to want you to uh, they're going to want to control you externally, right? To do what they want you to do. And to obey God by the laws of the land. But to obey God by the laws of a national Sunday law, to do what the, to go to church on a certain day, to worship God, the external obedience. You think God wants external obedience even within a national Sunday law? No. The principle is not so much what they, there's a quotation from Ellen White that says this, 
The principle is, is the use of force in the last days. So force cannot be used in the, in the, on a national level, but where does the, national, the communities come from? It comes from the homes, right? So the, way, the reason why people are used to using force in the nation, the United States, is because they're used to using force in the homes. And they're using um, control and saying, look, you need to do this. And they're trying to get who can get more angry, who can get the best silent treatment, who can um, use guilt trips to control the other person the best, right? And that's what's happening in the homes, and that's what's happening in the national level also. So and it says, only by love is love awakened. What do you say? Amen? So in other words... God, the reason, this is the power of love. God who is, in 1 John 4, verse 8, God is what? Love. love. So love, when love comes to us, guess what's going to happen when love loves us? Ah, it awakens in your carnal nature a desire to love God back. Right? Amen? Because we don't naturally love God, so that's the gospel. So what happens, and this happens in even marriages. If your marriage is not working or in a relationship is not working, uh, you know what it can awaken love within the heart of the other person? Love. Love awakens love. Love is powerful. Love is the most powerful force in this world. So there's this first love experience that's been lost, um, and we need to have this love experience with God. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to see how much his character. When we see his character, we will love him in return. There was a, uh, I was doing some meetings and, um, in Hawaii, and after my meeting, one of, the, one of these guys came up to me, and he was asking me questions about what is a biblical thing to do about a woman who's cheating on, on her husband, and uh, who's right and who's wrong in this situation. And so I gave him counsel for like a long time. And then finally, he pulled out of his, his pocket a recorder. <laughs> he had recorded me the whole time. And guess what he's going to do with this recorder? He's going to go to his wife. He didn't tell me his wife was doing this. He was just saying, just give me a situation. And he's going to prove to her that she was wrong and he was right. And like, first of all, I was like, uh, felt violated because he, <laughs> he had recorded me without my permission. And secondly, he was like going to use that to bash his wife, to beat her and to come home to her. Because if he could somehow prove to her um, that she was wrong, he was right, and use it by force, that somehow her love for him would just actually grow and she would just come back home, right? <laughs> Does that happen though? You're laughing, but does this happen out there? It does happen, right? All the time, right? So I told him, look, you're not going to restore your marriage by bashing her. The only way you're going to restore your marriage is that you have to win her heart again. But she's living with the other man already. So it doesn't matter. If you want this marriage to work, you still have to chase after her. She's still lawfully your wife. Even though she's living with another man, you need to go and chase her. And that's what a man does. A man doesn't say, ah, it's their fault. Ah, just let them go. I'm okay, and just hurt and grieve and go into the den and uh, grieve on their own. But a man goes and he, he chases the woman he once used to chase before. Yeah? And he wins the heart. And he treasures her heart and he wants to win her back. And that's what the gospel is. See, God doesn't give up with us. Does he, not, does he give up with us? No. 
See, even if we, he chases us and he loves us, and maybe we were converted at one time and we love God, right? And then what happens if we stray away? Right? We all, like sheep, have strayed away. Have you ever done that? I have. And I strayed away from God. Guess what he does? Does he just sit back and say, well, she chose it. She chose the devil as his, I mean, his girlfriend. He's going to just go out and have an affair with the devil. You know what I mean? This is like, I'm just going to let him go. Is that what God does to us, you think? We may think that. Do you think that God comes down and just starts bashing? You need to do this and you need to repent. And we need to repent. <laughs> but does it come with that attitude? No, what really works is that when God comes and he woos you and he draws you and he loves you, and that love comes back and it draws you back to surrender to him. And we need that in our relationships, huh? What do you say? Amen? See, the gospel is found in gender roles. Are you seeing it now a little bit? The gospel is found in gender roles. And that's what we're looking at now. So, in other words, if there is no love in my home, then I know that it's my fault as a man and not my wife's. And I take that responsibility because that is my role as a man. It is my fault. Now, women, you're going to find your own challenges in the next presentation. But as a man, we talk about men, so I'm going to be more hard on the men right now. It's funny, there's more women than men, yeah, normally. We're even really interested in relationships. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, don't take these sermons and show it to the, your boyfriends or future boyfriends or... That's right. The spirit is good. So husbands or men or even boyfriends, we must not put our careers, our entertainment, or ourselves ahead of our wives. True? But instead we must love them with God's love. And the only way we can do that with God's love is that we men must first experience God's love for us first. Amen? Again, we cannot give that which we have not first received for ourselves, right? So men, even though now you know, okay, I need to love her. But here's the thing, you cannot love her like that. So now you go, wow, I'm going to love my wife or my girlfriend like this. And the only way you're going to do that is that you're going to have to have a, a relationship with God first and experience his love for you. And when you have that love in you, then you can actually channel it to your, your woman. Is that clear? Let me say amen. Amen? Men, is that clear? Let me say amen. Amen? <laughs> relationship with God first. Okay. Turn to Genesis 3, verse 9. After Adam and Eve sinned, Genesis 3, verse 9. Notice the Bible says, After Adam and Eve sinned, who did God call carnival for both of their sins? Notice the Bible says, God came down, and it was in the garden. And the Bible says, And the Lord God called unto Eve. Is that what it says? No, the Bible says, The Lord God called unto Adam. And said unto you, who are, where art thou? Now, my question is, who sinned? Was it only Adam that sinned? Eve sinned. And in fact, who was it that actually sinned first? It was Eve. So why would God come down and then he would call Adam into account? Why did he call Eve first into account? And why not even, if they're both equal, why did he say, okay, Adam and Eve, where are you? Right? Why did he do that? Why do you think so? Because Adam was the head of the woman. In other words, we men, we're accountable. We are accountable for our, the sins of the home. So Adam had to own up for their sins. 
You see, because he was the head of the home, he had failed the, the home environment. He had failed the marriage. He had failed by falling into sin also. That's why the solemn responsibility as a man to make our marriages work. But the problem today is that men today are rebellious by nature. Now, in the Garden of Eden, think about this. You remember with Eve? Why did Eve eat the, eat the fruit? Because why? She was what? She was deceived, right? So she was deceived into it and she ate the fruit. Why did the man eat the fruit? He didn't want to lose Eve. Good love story. Huh? That's right. She offered them, they're all right. But man, was man deceived? No. So Eve was deceived and did it. But Adam, guess what? He chose, and in the face of God, was rebellious toward God, right? Is that true of uh, man's nature today? That's why more men today, are, by nature, there are way more men in prison than, in, than women, right? Because men are getting involved in so much rebellious attitudes and, and to violence because of that nature they had back then in the Garden of Eden after sin. So there's, there's a distinctive um, difference between men and women. So men have the rebellion, and that's why men, they have a hard time fulfilling their roles because they're so against the roles that God has given them because they're rebellious by nature. They don't want to follow. Within us, we know, kind of in our hearts, like we don't want to follow it. Especially men have a hard time. They don't want to follow their roles. And you're looking out in the culture today. How many men are really following their roles today? And, we don't, and let's forget even the world. Let's look even inside of our own church. How many men are even, we're, we're focusing on four principles. I'm only on number one. How many men are even following their principles, mom and dad? Your boyfriend, your husband. How many of you actually see this happening out there? You know, what's happening out there in the church, in the bigger picture of the organization, you know, they can vote whatever they want. But you know what? That's just a reality of what's already happening in the homes. The men are not being the leaders of their home. They're not being the lovers that they need to be. And so it's just a reflection. Whatever is, happens in the higher organization, whether what levels you go up and the higher you go, it's just a reflection of what's already been happening. And no legislative act is going to change anything as if a vote is going to change how people are behaving in their homes, right? That's just like the National Sunday Law. You cannot legis legislate morality. You just cannot. But you can actually, you can actually um, make sin go systemic by making bad decisions also, right? But what this reveals to us is that, what it revealed to me is that this is the true picture, the reality of what's happening in our Adventist homes. There is no distinction of roles, really. And you know that in your homes, right? So we need to look at the roles of men and women more clearly. So um, let's look at the next one. Turn to Amos chapter 5, verse 4. This is the second principle. So the first principle is that men need to be lovers of their women. The second principle is that men need to be initiators. 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 Turn to me Amos chapter 5, verse 4 in your Bibles. Amos chapter 5, verse 4. Now who are we to seek according to the Bible? Amos chapter 5, verse 4. The Bible says, 
For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall what? Live. Okay, so in order to live, what do we need to do? We need to what? Seek the Lord, right? So we seek God, we're going to live. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to seek the Lord. Okay, now turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Romans chapter 3, verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. But can we seek after God? That's the question. Can we seek after God? Romans chapter 3, verse 11. The Bible says, There is none that understands. There is none that what? Seeks what? After God. Wait a minute here. So one text is saying here that we need to seek after God, and we seek after God, we're going to live. And then we have another text here that says that, no, wait, there's nobody that can actually seek after God. Is there a contradiction here? It seems like it, right? But here's the principle. There is none that, in other words, initially, we need to seek God, right? But in, initially on our own sinful natures, we cannot and actually we're not even desire to seek after God, right? It's like we won't even love God. We won't seek after God. But what's the only thing that's going to awaken within us a desire to seek after God? Huh? God's love for us? And what? God's seeking after us. Not only does love awakens love, but guess what? Seeking awakens seeking. So when you see that God seeks you, guess what? You're going to want to then seek after the one who seeks after you. So... You know, in the same way, we are to seek after our wives, and seek after the girls. In other words, it is a man's responsibility to reflect the gospel. And the gospel is this. We need to be the ones seeking the girls. We need to be the ones. The men are the ones that need to initiate. Now, I'm sharing this with you because this was not how I was, grow, I was raised up. This is not how I was actually used to date. I, was, I guess it was a, it's like a kind of complex with me, but I was, I was afraid of rejection. Because I guess I've been rejected in my, um, uh, my first girlfriend, and so I had a bad experience. So my thing was that, look, I'm not going to chase any more girls, and I'm going to wait till they chase me. That's my, my philosophy. <laughs> and that's how I live. I was not the initiator, so I'm sharing my experience that I let them chase me. So I'll just wait, and, um, but you know, the women have changed that they're actually the ones that seek a lot too now, right? In fact, a lot more. So actually, I was involved still in a lot of relationships, but I would not be seeking. I would make sure that they would seek me first, or I knew that they liked me, and then I would kind of follow that direction, right? To be, play it safe. Many have ever done that before? Just to play it safe? So the men, he says here, um, the men are the, the ones who are to be the initiators, right? To seek first. Now look at John chapter 6, verse 44. Let's see the gospel more in this. John chapter 6, verse 44. Let's see what the Bible says. Can we come to God without first being drawn? Notice what the Bible says here. John 6, 44. And it says, now, now you're going to see how seeking works together with each other. The Bible says, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me draw him. What do you say, amen? In other words, no man can seek after God. And the only reason you're going to seek God is because, first of all, God's going to come down and He's going to seek you. He's going to draw you. And when you, He seeks you, seeking awakens seeking within you, right? And then you get, then you actually, then you want to seek God. And the same way, men, when, when you start seeking that girl, you know, how many have seen relationships where a, 
a guy really liked a girl, a girl really liked a guy. It actually works either way, but it should be the men. But a guy likes a girl, a girl likes a guy, but say the guy likes that girl, and she doesn't like him. And she, he chases her. And he chases her, and she says, there's no way in the world that I'm going to be with that guy, right? But what happens six months later, and you find out that they actually came together? You ever seen that happen before? Has it ever happened to you or anyone here? Somebody thought, I'm never going to be with that guy. And he kept chasing you and chasing you and chasing you. And guess what happened? You end up with that guy. You know, you know why? Because that principle, seeking awakens seeking. It works, actually. And that's why, guys, I've seen, guys, if you have your eye on a girl, and you, like, you really feel that God is calling you, without manipulating, but there's something there about initiating and seeking after God. And when you seek after God, God does um, a miracle and he actually works and awakens love because love awakens love within our hearts. Okay, now let's turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, 8, and 10. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So Christ died for us when we were still sinners, ungodly. And then it says in 8, But God commends his love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ what? Christ died for us. Verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. In other words, when we were still ungodly, when we were still unlovely, when we're still um, wicked and enemies of God, when we hated God, guess what? God still loved us. What do you say, amen? amen. God loves us. In other words, he loves everyone that's in this room. Re regardless if you've been converted or not, regardless if you love God or not, it doesn't matter. In other words, even if you hate God at this very moment, he still loves you. And when you realize that love, guess what's going to happen? That's going to awaken in your heart love back for him. And that's the gospel can be carried into the home. If you have a girlfriend, or if you have a spouse, say like a wife, and she hates you, you come to the point she hates you and doesn't want nothing more to do with you anymore. If you were to show her love again, you can still awaken love within her heart. Even if, she, even if she's your enemy, even if she treats you meanly, you still can show her love, and that love's going to change her heart. And that's what this world needs more is God's love in our hearts. John chapter 3, verse 16. You guys know this, this verse, right? John 3, verse 16. Notice what it says. The Bible says, you can say it, right? For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Okay, now my question here in this text is this. Which came first? Do we, in other words, we need to believe in order to be saved, right? Amen. I believe if we focus on this text and saying, okay, you need to believe as if we need to initiate first and believe first before God will, you know, love us and do anything for us. But look at this text. Look at the chronological order of this text. What comes first before we even believe? God loves us. And not only by words, but saying God loves you, but what else happens next? Action. Because actions speak louder than what? Words. Right? So in other words, the action of the cross, you know that revealed? God could say he loved us all he wanted, which was great. But the character of the universe of God was um, 
It was being shown to the whole universe because it was God, it was Christ's words of his father, right, against Satan's words. And his words back and forth about who God's character really was. That's a great controversy, right? But what was the turning point was the actions. And you can say all you want that you love your wife or you love your husband. It doesn't matter. It's your actions that really prove it, right? What do you say, amen? amen. And so the gospel reveals that not only does God love you, but God proves to you by his actions that he loves you. He truly loves you. And when you see that God loves me and his actions on the cross shows that he loves you even before you believe, right, in this text, before you believed, he loved you. Before you believed, he died for you on the cross. He wanted to reveal to you that he loved you. He died for all on the cross. When you see that love and you experience that love, you will believe, beloved. Amen? You will believe unless you reject it. And God doesn't want us to reject his love. You know why? Because you know why we reject it and not believe? Because God cannot force. He cannot force. Just like we're talking about, you cannot force your husband or you can't force your wife. It doesn't work in the home. Guess what? Between our relationship with God and us, it doesn't work either. It's contrary to his character. He will not force because he knows that's not love. Love wants your heart. Love doesn't want only your external obedience to do what is right. God, God wants your heart because out of your heart, right, that's where your obedience truly stems from. And so he wants your heart. He wants you to, to win your heart. That's what God wants to do. He's out there to win your heart. And you have to let him win your heart. And when you finally win your heart, then you can truly love each other. And that's what the gospel is in gender roles. So look at this. This is a quotation on your handouts. Okay, it says here. It says, Only let, listen to this, Only let a woman realize that she is appreciated by her husband and is precious to him. In other words, here's a man, a husband, that's showing to her, his wife, that she's appreciated, she's precious, and he loves her, right? And notice what it says here. And it goes on and says, not merely because, you know, she's useful, but it goes on and says this, and she will what? Respond to his affection and reflect the love bestowed upon her. What do you say, amen? So inspiration is back to what the Word of God says, that she responds, right? There's the initiator and there's the person who responds. So when the wife sees or woman sees that a man is showing appreciation and showing love to the woman, guess what happened to the woman's heart? She's going to want to respond and she's going to reflect that love that she has in her toward back to her husband or to her, her boyfriend or to her fiancé. If that's clear, let me say amen. Amen? Is that clear? Let me hear say amen. Amen? Okay, so you understand. I just want to know where you're at. So you see that how the, the gospel works in gender roles. And so God wants us to change our gender roles and what we're doing. Men, we need to step up to the plate. We need to be the men that God has called us to be. We need to be godly men. We need to be men who follow the biblical roles of what a real man is really like, according to what God says. Actually, I was kind of surprised that so many people, are so, um, so many young people are so single up here, you know, and even in, um, I mean, this is California. I mean, this is in Hawaii, a lot of people get married at younger ages. But um, just to see here, like in the camp, a lot of people are, are single, which is good because it could be good because you're waiting for the right person, right? <laughs> number one. Uh, number two, maybe you feel you're not ready. Yeah? Maybe issues in our lives that need to be healed first before we can actually find the right person. Whatever it is, um, it's very unique up here. 
<laughs> for me to see anyway. But God knows the reason, right? So what happens? Turn to John chapter 12, verse 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. What happens when Christ is lifted up on the cross? John chapter 12, verse 32. Notice the Bible says, this is the God to humanity relationship. And it says here in John chapter 12, verse 32, I, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, and where was Jesus lifted up on the earth? Do you, do you know? Anyone know? On the cross. Okay. And what does the cross reveal? It reveals a God who loves you, right? So when, you, when love is lifted up for all to see, what's going to happen? It will what? Draw you to who? To him. Do you see that? And just like the serpent, when they were bitten by the serpents, only those who what? Looked were what? Were healed. In other words, only those who look at the cross, by his wounds we are what? Healed, right? So not only, the only people who look at the cross and see his love are the only people that are going to be healed. See, just understanding, you know, we studied last night about cause and effect, right? Just understanding what the problem is and the true root cause of the problem is half, only half of the battle. The solution is really what counts, and that is you can only be healed by the wounds of the cross, seeing the cross, right? That's what Paul said, I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ, right? He came to that realization after being a legalist, right, after many years. He came to the conclusion that it's a cross that has the power to actually heal, the only thing that has the power. So that's why I believe that the cross of Calvary should be lifted up in every sermon, every talk, every Bible study. Otherwise, no one would be truly drawn to him. What do you say, amen? No one would be drawn to Jesus Christ. Now, the foundation for all false religions is, the foundation is this, that we have to do something first before God will... Um, love us. In Hawaii, we have spiritualism in the Hawaiian religion. And that religion is, there's a goddess called Pele. How many of you guys heard of Pele? How many of you guys heard of her? Okay. Pele is a goddess of fire and a volcano and destruction with her lava. Have you ever seen lava live in person on TV, right? <laughs> Internet, right? <laughs> Postcards. <laughs> but she's a, she's a goddess of fire and the volcano. So, and, and the religion is this, that we need to appease Pele, what they call ho'okupu, or gifts. So they bring, go to the volcano on the edge, and they give gifts to the goddess uh, Pele. Why? To appease her, to make her happy. Because if we initiate and appease Pele, then she's not going to harm us and she's going to bless us. Do you think that could happen in our church also? That maybe if I just become, if I do something just enough, in other words, maybe if I just come to church every Sabbath, somehow my problems would disappear and God would love me. Somehow if I just change the way I dress. Somehow God will just love me more, right? Do you think paganism can come into God's church? Do you think paganism is just out there and worshiping Madame Pele? Or do you think that we could actually um, make God into our own image, right? And 
worship and serve the creature and kind of make God out to be like how we want him to be or think him to be and bow down to that false idol that we have created. So the gospel is really revealing to us that there's a God that loves us more than we love he loves himself. What a wonderful gospel. What do you say? Amen? Okay, look at your handout. Please. It says here, talking about, now let's go back to the relationship. We see how God loves us, right? Now we're looking at parallels between how God loves us and how the man is to love the woman, right? Whatever relationship you're in, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, or husband or wife. And this is, this is talking about the, in the home. It says, A house with love in it, where love is expressed in words and looks and deeds. Okay, talking about when the husband's doing this to his wife. It says here, continue on, it says, None of life's duties will be unpleasant to your wife. Talking to the man. In other words, your wife's not going to, it's not going to be unpleasant to her for do, to be submissive to you and doing, fulfilling her roles as a woman um, under such circumstances. She will perform them with cheerfulness of spirit and will be like a sunbeam to all around her and she'll be making melody in her heart to the Lord. What do you say, amen? So if the man is showing love to the woman, the woman will have that hole in her heart to be loved by her husband, will be filled, and then she would joyfully want to serve. She would joyfully want to be submissive. She would joyfully fulfill the godly roles of a woman that God has called her to. And that is what God is calling men to do today, and especially in this generation. Now, if you look at, turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. So now we have man as the lover, man as the initiated, man is to initiate. So when we're talking about relationships, like in dating, the responsibility is the primary responsibility of the man to initiate the, the dating also out there. We're going to talk more about dating this afternoon. But the man's role, you see how the gospel is? It's the man's role to initiate, and then the woman is to respond to that love. But you see how the roles have changed today? Like, how many actually have never heard this before? Let me see hands. <laughs> About uh, men are the ones to initiate first, and the women respond. How many never heard this before? Okay. So, anyway, it's a role of men to initiate and the women to respond. So turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And before Eve was created, what did God give to Adam? Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The third thing is, a man needs to do, is that he needs to be the provider. Number one, the lover. Number two, the initiator. The, th the third thing for a man that you're looking for, women, is that he needs to be a provider. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. What did God give to him? The Bible says, And the Lord God took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So then to, to um, maintain the garden. To work the garden and to maintain the garden. That was the role of man. In other words, Adam had the occupation that provided for his household, right? He was to be the provider. Now there's another text here. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 in your Bibles. What does the Bible call someone who does not provide for his own household? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Worse than an unbeliever, Right? 
So if a man is not able to provide for his home, is not able to take care of his house, then the Bible says he's worse than a, a person who's an unbeliever. And he's, he's talking to, Paul is talking to the church here. So the man's role is here, he needs to provide for his home. In other words, a man can, in other words, you can't be dating a guy and a guy says, I love you with all my heart and I'm going to take care of you the rest of my life. And the guy is still catching a bus to visit you at his home. How is he going to take care of you if he can't even, he doesn't even own his own car? What do you want? Do you want him to, I mean, do you guys want to be living with your parents for the rest of your life? So the man needs to provide, he needs to provide. Now understand the circumstances, like this economy is bad, right? And there's men who have lost their jobs. I understand temporary situation, you know, it's understandable to do it. But a man should, in the long run, at least be seeking to be able to be the provider of his home. What do you say, amen? Amen? Provide. Be the man that God has called you to be. Be the lover that God has called you. Show the gospel that God loves us first, and not a false religion of paganism. Show the gospel that we love the women. Men need to love and need to cherish the hearts of our, our women. Men, be a man. Be an initiator. Don't be wimpy like I was. Don't be, this, be the responder. Oh, I'm just going to let them do whatever they want. Okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, that's fine. Be the, be the initiator. Don't, don't be at the, when your wife says to you or your girlfriend, honey, can you please pray? Say, oh, no, 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 you pray, you pray. Don't be the one when the woman has initiated and says, honey, can we please, says to, you, says to the man, honey, can we please have family worship? No, no, you just do it with the kids. Or, okay, I'll do it with you. You just lead out. Is that what's happening in our churches today, you think? Has the world come into our church? Have we followed the ways of the world and we don't even know it? Have we lost our biblical roles as men and women, you think? Lover, initiator, provider. Now, there's a handout. Look at your handout, please. There's something in the spirit of prophecy. And you can read it later. Well, let's see how much time we got. Uh, I'll read it. I'm going to have questions and answers at the end also, okay? And you can ask your questions. By the way, please write down your questions and then, um, so you don't forget it, and then you can uh, ask me after the session, okay? It says here that in early times, this is spirit of prophecy, custom required the bridegroom before the ratification of a marriage engagement to pay a sum of money or its equivalent in other property according to his circumstances, to the father of his wife. It's a dowry, right? So like say, they say, hey, look, you're like worth eight cows, five chickens, you know. <laughs> and the father says, what, what an insult. Only eight cows, you know. And they go, okay, I'll give you ten cows, five chickens. <laughs> so there's a dowry, right? So in other words, and they used to work it out between each other how much you were worth. And then it says here, this was regarded as but here's the reason why. This was regarded as a safeguard to the marriage relation. Fathers did not think it safe to trust the happiness of their daughters to men who had not made provision for the support of a family. If they had not sufficient thrift and energy to manage business and acquire cattle or lands, it was feared that their life would prove worthless. 
but provision was made to test those who had nothing to pay for a wife. They were permitted to labor for the father whose daughter they loved, the length of time being regulated by the value of the dowry required. When a suitor's faithfulness services improved in other respects worthy, he obtained a daughter as his wife, and generally the dowry which the father had received was given her at her marriage. Do you see that? So in other words, there was a, there was a dowry was, was um, required for the man to give to the father. And he would take the money, but he wouldn't take the money and spend it. He would take the money, and then when they got married, he would give it back to them. But why do you think they would do that? Because he was looking, the father was looking out for his daughter. He was protecting his daughter to make sure that his daughter would be well taken off, throughout, taken care of throughout her whole life. The sad thing is there's no safeguards today. What is a safeguard? What's not, what, would, what would stop a man who doesn't even have a job from marrying our children today or marrying someone today? Nothing, right? In dating, we'll learn there is safeguards, and we're going to study that. But what safeguard is there to make sure you, have, you marry a man who is a provider anymore? Nothing. And so they're marrying men who are not providing, just want to sit home, watch TV all day, play video games, <laughs> go to the beach, whatever it may be, right? You think playing video games is a real man? <laughs> you think... Uh, Shooting a ball from half court into the basket is a real man? You think that's what a real man is all about? Is that what a real man? Is that what really makes successful marriages? Your husband can shoot, a, can shoot ten, ten, 10 free throws in a row straight on? Can shoot three-pointers really good? Is that what really makes a, good, a real man today? We seem to think so, right? And in fact, we spend more time practicing our moves and on our game then we even spend time on studying about how to have good relationships in our home and how to, have, to be a real man, to be a real husband, right? If we even practice one one-hundredth, if we just put maybe one one-hundredth of the time we spend practicing our moves in basketball or whatever sport and put that one one-hundredth of that time into even study about how I can be a better man, Man, can you imagine what God could do in his church? What is a real man? Lover, initiator, provider. Then it goes on. No man is excusable for being without financial ability. No man. Of many a man it may be said, he is kind, admirable, generous, a good man, a Christian. You know, great he's a Christian, but he is not qualified to manage his own business. As far as the outlay of means is concerned, he is a mere child. He has not been brought up by his parents to understand and practice the principles of self-support. In other words, he's not able to support himself. In other words, if you are not able to provide for your family, you're still a child. You can call yourself whatever you want, but you're still a baby. You need to be able to provide and be a man and provide for the women within your household. And that's why it's good to stay within marriages. You made a covenant vow with your wife. You made a covenant vow to stay there for your children. You know, I came to realization, you know, the, you know the people who are hurt most by divorce is not the spouses, it's the children. And you made a commitment to God to stay with her through thick and thin, to hardness, to good times and bad times, till death do you part. 
And you were meant to stick all the way to the end. There was not supposed to be any divorce in the Bible. And God has called you to be the man that you're called to be. And we spent less time on even watching TV or playing video games or playing sports and more time invested into our relationships, God would do a mighty work in His church. What do you say, amen? Genesis chapter 22, verse 8. Let's finish this off. Actually, let me just go to the quotation. We'll skip that text. Go to the handout that you have there. Just like God provided a lamb, it says. God provided, right, a lamb. In other words, God is the one that provides the sacrifice. In other words, God provides for us everything, right? So notice this quotation here. Not only did he provide for our salvation, but it says here, to the death of Christ, we owe even this earthly life. In other words, God didn't just die for you to ex- receive salvation. God died for you so that you even could live your life here, even in rebellion to God. So even in your rebellion, it's God's love for you that give his, gives you your own life right now. The bread we eat is the purchase of his broken body. In other words, the cross buys everything for you. The cross not only brought you life, even in rebellion to God while you're on this earth, but the cross is love. It even provides the bread that you eat. The water we drink is bought by his spilled blood. Even the water you drink is bought by the cross of Calvary. Never one saint or sinner eats his daily food, but he is nourished by the body and the blood of Christ. The cross of Calvary is stamped on every loaf. It is reflected in every water spring. All this Christ has taught in appointing the emblems of his great sacrifice. The light shining from that communion service in the upper chambers makes sacred the provisions of our daily life. What do you say, huh? Amen? In the same way, just as God provides for us because he loves us, so should men also provide for their women also. So now we have here, we have lover, initiator, provider, and the last thing, last thing I'll present as men is this, is that men, we need to be the protectors. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. How are men to love their wives? Ephesians 5, 25. The Bible says, Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and what? Gave himself for what? It. In other words, the, the man, what, what did Christ do for the church? He what? He gave himself, and what's another word? He what? He died, he sacrificed for his church. In other words, he died to save, or he died to protect, he was a, to protect his church, right? He was a protector of his church. Whenever you sacrifice your life for someone, you're doing it to protect them. And so men are called to be the same way that parallel, men are called to be the protector of the women. What do you say, amen? In other words, even that requires giving up their lives in order to save them. What do you say, amen? Amen? In other words, you need to think about in your life, in your mind, men, and I've been thinking about it recently a lot. This flows in my mind. If there ever comes a point, men, where you need to give up your life for your woman, you need to already purpose in your heart well in advance that you're going to do that. So when the time does come, you're going to give up your life sacrificially for your woman. What do you say, amen? You know, I know you follow the Aurora, Colorado shootings, right? You know there are some heroes there that died to protect their girlfriends. You guys remember that? 
You guys remember seeing that? In the shooting in Colorado? Now remember, there's a CNN article, and I want to read you the article. This is CNN, this is a secular source, and this is what they said. CNN, CNN said, by all appearances, these men believe that a man has a responsibility to protect. Interesting. The world is saying this. CNN, they don't even believe in God. And they said, he had, um, these men who died for the women, they had a responsibility to protect a woman, even to the point of death. Does that sound familiar, like Ephesians chapter 5 or 25? They believe that there are things in life worth dying for, and an innocent woman sitting next to them was one. They believe, to put it simply, in a code of honor. They put the lives of the woman before their own, an old-fashioned notion, to be sure. See, they're calling this an old-fashioned notion because no one probably even believes it anymore, right? Every man for himself. But, yeah. <laughs> an old-fashioned notion, to be sure, but certainly an honorable one, right? Amen? If one have any doubts, ask the survivors. Their instincts were to protect, not to run away. And so, man, we must purpose in our hearts that we are there to be the protectors. We're there to stand and protect the women, whoever they may be, even if they're your girlfriend. Because you already made a commitment in a courtship, or as a fiancé, or as your wife, you're there to be the protector of your wife, even if it means that's Christ sacrificing your life for that person. And that's what you need to purpose in your heart. We need to be real men today. What do you say, amen? That is what a real man. Matt McQuinn was one of them. Matt was at the movie theater with his girlfriend, Samantha, and her brother, Nick. When the gunmen started opening fire, Matt and, and her brother, Nick, grabbed Samantha and pulled her to the ground and shielded her. Matt died after being hit three times from a bullet. He's a protector. John Larimer jumped over a seat to cover up his girlfriend, Julia. Julia told the story. John just ducked over and held my head tight and put his body in front of mine. And in the process of doing so, he got shot. I feel strongly that I was saved by John and his ultimate kindness. But not all men were purpose in their hearts to protect their women. There was a couple there called Jamie and Patricia. Do you remember them? Jamie and Patricia were watching a movie. The gunman opened fire. Patricia was next to her little girl. Jamie, the, the man, was holding the six-month-year-old baby, and they were, stand, they were sitting on the, on, on the chair. And, and when the, gunfire, the gunman opened fire, he got up. Jamie got up. He put the baby under the seat. And the balcony is right behind him, so he turned around and he jumped over the balcony, ran to his car, jumped in his car and left the theaters, leaving his girlfriend and his two children behind. So Jamie and Patricia, so Patricia's left there with her baby, she's panicking. She falls to the ground and takes her, her daughter, six-year-old daughter, and pulls her to the ground. And when she's lying on the ground, she didn't know what happened. She sees under the seat in front of her, her six-month-year-old baby crying. And the gunshots are flying throughout the theater. 
So he, she pulls the baby into her with the, the six-year-old child and starts crawling, trying to make her up, but she's so frozen. But not everyone reacted like Jamie. Joel Brooks, while this was going on, a 17-year-old young man who was a Christian was trying to get out of the theater. And as he was crawling, he stumbled upon Patricia and her two kids. He said, he said, at the end of the aisle, I ran into a woman. She yelled, my kids. And I saw that she had two young kids with her and quoting him. I made sure they got in the aisle and I pushed behind her to make sure and to get them out of there. And he said he had made a decision that it didn't matter if he even made out of there alive. Jarrell, Patricia, and the two children, they made it out alive. They both were shot. He was shot in his leg as he was trying to escape. Patricia later said, I don't remember much about what happened, but I want to thank him. The fact that he was there with me was comforting. There was someone who wanted to help me. Amen? That's a real man. Not somebody who can throw the most touchdowns, but that's a real man. And I don't care what the world tells you what a man is. That's not a man. That's a real man. And men, we need to become real men. What do you say, amen? amen. There are two more. This is actually on Jarrell's page, okay? I think I have on your handout. This is what he has from Martin Luther King, a quote from him. And it says this, and this was on his Facebook page, Jarrell's Facebook page. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. What do you say, amen? amen. He knew ahead of time what was a real man. And so he did it in advance. Alex Tevez, he jumped on top of his girlfriend. When the gunfire opened, when the shooter was going everywhere, he jumped on top of his girlfriend, Amanda, when the gunfire erupted. Amanda said, he held me down. And he covered my head, and he said, shh, stay down. It's okay. Shh, just stay down. So I did. I know he would do anything for me. And he always told me that too. I just wish I could have protected him the same way he protected me. I've been telling people that he was my angel that night. John Blunk instinctively pushed his girlfriend Jansen to the ground and threw his body on top of hers. He was killed from the gunfire. His girlfriend Jansen, who survived, said, he's a hero and he'll never be forgotten. He took a bullet for me. Jansen's mom said that John was the kind of guy you want your daughter to be with. What kind of guy? That kind of guy who's willing to protect his woman. And ultimately, she's alive because of this, because he protected her. Notice the words they're using. He protected her as a protector, and then she said this, he pushed her down on the floor and lay down on top of her, and there he died. That's a real man. That's a real man. God wants his men, when a woman knows that you love them enough, that you're willing to be like Christ, that you're willing to be like Christ and die for the church, when, when women know that you're willing to die for them, they will do anything for you. These women would do anything for these men. Those interviews that are shown on CNN, they were willing to do anything for them. And if, they were, if that means to be submissive, they would submit. 
And the reason why women are not falling and are being submissive to some men, a lot of men, because they're not showing the love that Christ showed the church. Beloved, God wants to be the lover of our wives, the initiator of our wives, the provider of our wives, and the protector of our wives. But we cannot give what we have not first received. For we cannot be these things unless we have received them from God first. We must see that God is the lover of our souls, that God is the one that loves us first. And when we see that God loves us first, we would then love our wives. When we see that God is initiating our salvation and we respond, then we're going to learn what it is initiator is, and then we're going to initiate toward our, our women. When we see that God provides for us, then we're going to realize, okay, this is the gospel, I'm going to provide for my woman. When we see that God is the one that protects us, we're going to see that we also need to protect our women. Man, I want to be this man. How about you? What do you say? Amen? How many of you men, I'm going to challenge the women in the next session, I know. But men, how many want to be a real man today? Let me see your hands. Amen. Let's be the men that God has called us to. What do you say? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. May we be the men that you have called us to, to be the lovers, to be the providers, the initiators, and the protectors. And so, Lord, we surrender our lives to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This message is produced by a loud and clear call ministries. Our mission is to uplift God's character of love through the preaching and teaching of the everlasting gospel in this generation. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please go to our website at www.aloudandclearcall.org. That's www.aloudandclearcall.org. Mahalo and God bless.